Hello, friends, and welcome to our new interview of a series with guild leaders and key opinion leaders in our industry, guilds, GameFi, and Metaverse. I am Jeremy, co-founder of Crypto Guilds, LinkedIn of the Metaverse. Today, we'll interview Nico Verica, who is an investor at Bitcraft and also founder at FogDAO, Future of Gaming. So my first question is, uh, who is Nico? Who are you? Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Um, who am I? I'm foremost a big gamer nerd that has grown up playing way too many video games at the frustration of his parents. And I started my career in technology. I have a business background, wanted to get into tech. So after my education, decided to learn how to program. Loved it so much that I decided, hey, screw this business stuff. I'm going to become a programmer for a bit. So I, I did that for a few years. And then um, about five years ago, joined a couple of friends of mine in Brussels, where I'm based, um, in my first full-time job in Web3. And Web3 wasn't even called Web3 back then. Um, and we were doing market making and liquidity providing for the DeFi space. So I wrote algorithms that were you know, providing liquidity in some of the first on-chain order books. Um, and so did that, got fascinated. Um, I like learning and I'm very curious. So... What I did during my time as a programmer doing that, I read up as much as I could about blockchain, got very much into it. Um, so I worked at a company for a year and then joined another company. We were trying to do crypto payments. So we were trying to allow specifically Europeans to connect their bank accounts to our app and then do easy crypto payments straight from their bank accounts, buy Bitcoin very easily. That was the idea. The execution, I guess, was okay, but the product market fits. That was a problem. In the end, like no one was interested in buy, paying with crypto. They all wanted to buy and speculate, I guess, right? So uh, still struggled, would still have struggled today. Um, so we ended up pivoting the company away to, towards traditional payments. So that company still exists, still doing well. First one as well, by the way, That's that one's killing it. Uh, it's a company called Kirok. Um, and we, um, at that point, so we decided to pivot the company towards payments. And then I decided that I wasn't going to stay in payments because payments is not my thing. It's uh, it's it's not very exciting. It's pretty boring, to be honest. Um, and it's bound to be disrupted by crypto. So um, anyway, decided to move away from that and focus on, on my passion, which was gaming and then crypto, which I love doing and I, I, I yeah, really enjoyed. So um, at that point, I figured that, you know, gaming was very often at the forefront of technological revolution. So whenever a new technology emerged that could be used to make new interactive experiences or to enhance interactive experiences, um, it was fairly quickly adapted by some of these game builders. Um, and so that's now two years ago that I decided to make the shift and start focusing on that. Um, I then decided, because I was coming into like a new industry, I then decided... Um, my best approach to learn most was to, one, focus on learning, but also learning public. It's a thing I've been doing um, during my whole life, and it's it's been it's been great. So what I do is I learn, and I learn publicly, which means that at that time, I decided to start a podcast with the people at Navic to, you know, talk to people who are smarter than I, who know more than I, and, you know, ask them stupid questions, tell, like, try to get as much as I can out of their brains, absorb it, and then share that with the world. And so that's what I've been doing for um, one and a half years now. In the meantime, got in touch with the people at Bitcraft. Um, as my focus was very much on the intersection of blockchain technology and gaming, 
they um they ended up asking me if I could join their crypto team. Um, you know, I had been looking at different gaming focused VCs, and I found that the you know the team of Bitcraft Bitcraft stood out because of especially you know the founders all have you know decades of experience operating within the game space, not necessarily investing, also investing, but they actually also built games, you know. Um, sold games studios, had been investing in game studios. Um, and so, you know, tremendously strong team. And um, yeah, I um, I joined them last year now, about a year. And so, you know, we're not done yet. Um, <laughs> earlier this year, I, I've been finding, I've been kind of frustrated with the blockchain gaming space that a company like Axie becomes very successful doing a thing many people very soon and very early realize that you know what they're doing works for a bit but not for a long time isn't very sustainable but i feel that a lot of builders right they see a company doing something and they're like holy shit that seems to work and then they go heads down and they start building and they don't really pay attention to what's going on um and so you know some like a lot of companies noticed Axie in, you know, let's say a year ago, right? L late last year, late 2021, they saw Axie, they saw Axie being super successful and they were like, oh shit, this works, right? Two token model and, you know, we're going to have people play and they grind and they get a token, they can use that token to, you know, make new NFTs that they can then sell and they can actually earn money. So, you know, play to earn is the future. Um, you know, meanwhile, there's us, you know, Jeremy, you and me, and we're like, mm, this whole play to earn thing might not be super sustainable and this Axie thing might not end up too great um and but you have these builders who are just heads down working and so um that's one of the reasons why you know i decided with a few others to start fogdow fogdow is essentially um a group of you know builders investors founders who are using some of these new technologies who are making a lot of mistakes and you are trying to share those mistakes so others don't make them um and that's pretty much the the, the goal all right so we have a, a bunch of interesting super fascinating founders in there who um who have a lot of lessons to share and we're, we're building a flat platform to to let them share it all right so quite a good intro there's a lot to unpack there i will ask you questions various things you 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 mentioned from yeah your your so you essentially have background in uh, engineering software developer gaming finance uh, payments founders podcasters all of that being a belgian that's pretty impressive i'm very uh, admiring not many like you i guess in Belgium, that was just a free, free attack from a, from a French. Uh, <laughs> I'll accept it. Perfect. So, um, actually, before getting diving more into that, are you like any other people developing, working in the sphere? Did you play World of Warcraft when you were younger? I um, I did not, and I actually think that's a good thing because if I did, I'd yeah. probably now live in my parents' basements and still play World of Warcraft. I did play like many people I know RuneScape, yeah. which I had a very unhealthy relationship with. I remember waking up at four thirty in the morning on a school day just to get a few hours of, of my, like mining in. Um, so um, I've, I've been a fan of these MMORPGs, and I, I knew how fun they could be. Um, and so now I've have had to make a pact with myself that I cannot play multiplayer games anymore, yeah. because I. I'm very competitive. And when I play a multiplayer game, I want to be the best I can be and I'll just grind to get better. And so now I just play single player games, way more chill um, and way easier to balance with my uh, my workload. 
Yeah, I actually I feel the same. I actually know I start I try to play as least games as I can. I don't have time anymore. And definitely not MMOs. It's it's impossible. Mm-hmm. With what we do, I guess you don't have time to really uh, engage as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so first uh, let's talk about Beatcraft and after uh, Fog Dao. So Beatcraft, I, I was looking at the Beatcraft uh, like page and people in order to find you. And there was an investment team and I saw like different kind of roles. So uh, founding manager or limited partner, associate, whatever. And you are listed as investor and you're the only one listed as investor. So what does that mean? It's a pretty special name. It's because we didn't know what other title to give me because there's a few interesting things going on. Um, one is that I have little experience in the VC industry, so which meant that you know I like I don't know how to draft a term sheet. I have no idea, or I, I used to have no idea, right? I had all to learn all of that from scratch. And usually, when you learn that, you you learn that as an analyst, which is you know the entry level um, title or position you get into the VC space. That that being said, I I did have some experience, you know, with companies with technology, um, which made me a bit too senior to be, you know, starting as an analyst. And so that's why I, I received generously the the title of investor, which kind of obfuscates the fact that there's still a shit ton of me, uh, a shit ton to learn for me um, about, you know, VC investing and, you know, about everything in the end, right? I'm, um, there's, a, there's a ton I don't know still. So um, yeah, learning every day. Okay, so you're okay. So this is your, your your position, but what you do essentially is you have a lot of deals. You're uh, analyzing a lot of deals, uh, specifically for uh, Web three blockchain gaming, I assume. And uh, I, I would like to know what would be a good thing to do is maybe you can take us through a process of what does a perfect deal looks like. What happens, for instance, is it is it is it introduced by someone else? Uh, does the team has uh, done things before? Uh, how does it work? Like the process for the perfect deal versus a, a deal that will, will not go anywhere just after. So people maybe will understand, okay, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. So there's a few ways a deal comes into, like comes into a, a venture capital firm. Um, there are better ways and there are worse ways. One good way is, for example, through um, a warm introduction from a founder that we already already invested in. There is no way where you know everyone, even within a relatively small industry like the gaming industry. Um, you know, we are a team, let's say, of twelve investment professionals at Bitcraft. There is no way in which we know everyone, right? Um, but we invest in founders. We build a relationship with these founders, and these founders might have, you know, no other founders that are, you know, starting a new new venture, um, and that those founders can then do an intro. So, you know, if you're building company and you know a founder um, that has been invested in by a VC that you like an intro to, it's probably the best way to go. Uh, obviously, there is personal network, right? Um, through everything that I do, I got in touch with people building within the space, um, and that's also a way to get to know them. Um, so that's, you know, other ones, there's always like inbounds. So we have, if you go to our website, uh, there's an email address, pitch at bitcraft.vc. So that's anyone can send an email there. Um, we get a lot of emails. You know, we get a lot of phishing emails about you know young ladies uh, who are very interested in in doing very dirty things with us. Um, but we also get 
some fantastic founders that reach out because they didn't have a direct intro. Uh, so we get a, a bunch of stuff and, you know, we make it one of our priorities to get back to these inbound emails as, as soon as we can. So, and we try to make sure that every single email we get uh, is responded to. So we politely decline those single young females. Um, yeah, we, we do get back to them. I, I um, think they only send it to you. I, I don't think your other people on your team receive them, but... I'm nice. sure they, they get it as well. There's uh, some some very, very good looking and also uh, very, you know, wealthy, I would say, team members on my team. So uh, I'm sure <laughs> that they get a lot of interest. Um, there is, um, so that's pretty much like the, the how, how deals get to us. And then, you know, when we when it comes to what kind of companies, businesses we like to invest in, I think specifically for the blockchain gaming space, I would say the ideal founders are um, not first-time founders. So ideally, a founder or a founding team. So first of all, um, ideally, there's a founding team, not a solo founder. So we always prefer to invest in teams. Um, you know, generally, you know, people, the teams that where one person does more of the, the you know, CEO role, um, well, depends a bit. If you're investing in a studio, it depends. If you're investing in platforms, different, right? But more the the, the business side, product sides, tech sides. So these could be like distinctions and, and co-founder um, trios that, that we'd like to invest in. Anyway, so co-founder teams that work together, that have previous exits or at least some founding experience, right? We prefer someone that built a company and then failed than someone that has never built a company, right? Um, building a company is is one of the hardest things there is. And you know, as as you know, Jeremy, it's, know. It's, it hasn't been easy for you. I'm sure, like these no. crypto downturns for a crypto company, it's not yeah. easy. Um, going through that is is quite a lesson, right? So that's something that we definitely look for as well. And then, you know, when it comes to what they're doing, um, I like to ask founders the question: What makes you the team to bet on to do this, right? If I if a founder comes to me and they propose me a business idea. I like if I just don't think about a team, but just try to think about okay, this is the business. Who would if I would would select a few people in the world to do this? Is that the same as the founding team? That is a team that we would want you know to invest in. That is the perfect the perfect um, founding team to back. Okay, so if I understand correctly, there's a couple things that could be seen as red flag. Obviously, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't invest in in such companies or people. But there's uh, like uh, green flags and red flags. Red flags uh, are like like solo founders, first-time founders, uh, like they're not exceptional in any aspects. I mean, anyone could uh, operate and execute their business. That, like, not necessarily, uh, but you know, if if a founder comes to me and tells me I'm going to build this, if I can I can think of ten thousand people that would I would rather have building this than them. Yeah. That's that's hard, right? Yeah, I can. Okay, I, I, I see. And so because Bitcraft, if I'm correct, you invest at various stages, right? From seed round to maybe series A, series B, maximum series B, correct? Yes, yes. We, we have some funds that could, you know, potentially invest at a later stage, probably like smaller tickets, etc. Uh, but we generally like to come in early. We have done small number, I would say seeds and series A is, is, is our sweet spot. Ser seed series A is your sweet spot. But maybe I'm wrong, but if I understand correctly, so in seed round, what in, in many people's minds, seed round is like, okay, I'm going to raise my seed round on an ID, on a, on a, on a slide deck. And, and that's doable if you have founded before companies, if you made exits, if you know people. 
Correct. But if you're a first-time founder and you can look for a seed round, but maybe Bitcraft is not going to give you a seed round. Maybe Bitcraft will be here for a Series A if you're already proven and you get your seed round somewhere else. So it's kind of a tier one VC uh, that gives seed rounds, but not to everybody. Series A, it's another story, right? Correct. I mean, so the, the terminology and the, the amounts invested have been shifting quite a lot, right? They've been going up. You know, you, you used to have seed rounds of half a million. Now you have seed rounds of like 50 million. I've seen some, right? Yeah. And um, generally, I think what you the way you characterize it makes sense. So if we come in into a seed round, it is usually, so that is definitely pre, you know, pre-traction, pre product often as well um the, the way we do that is then, then we usually invest either in a, a amazing team or in a business or an idea that is um i would say very unique so i guess you know this is maybe countering what i said earlier about i, I explained you the perfect deal right we still do yeah. deals that are not perfect deals um although we're always looking for, for these perfect deals obviously right but um it's not very often where you get a deal that's perfect. And one of the consequences of perfect deals is that perfect deals or teams that know what they're doing is like that they're the right people to be doing that. The valuations obviously go up, right? And then you have situations like, for example, Limit Break, about a month ago, um, they raised a total of 200 million and their latest valuation was, I believe, 1.8 billion pre-money, yeah, right? Crazy. And so if you have people, so the... Um, you know, Gabe Layden, who is the, the founder of that company, the CEO of that company, he might be, you know, in the top five people to build a blockchain or Web3 enabled company, gaming company. And so because of that, you know, the valuations tend to go very high anyway. Um, and, and so that would be like a perfect deal. But obviously you pay dearly for a perfect deal. Um, to go back to your point, your point about seed versus A. Seed, I would say either a great team, right? So that's that. Or I would say... Um, I think there is, um, with this new technology stack that is Web3, the gaming industry will be disrupted. My prediction is, and we can go into this if you want, that within 10 years, like the vast majority of gaming companies will use blockchain in some shape, way, or form. I think using blockchain within the core game loop could be a majority, could be a subset, but I think... Blockchain as a payments rail is already so disruptive that it will, you know, change the way things happen. As I said, I, I've been in the payments industry. I know that if a merchant accepts a credit card payment, a Visa, Mastercard payments, they pay up to two percent transaction fees, which is huge. Through the blockchain, that's way cheaper, right? And so I think, um, like, vast majority of gaming industries will start using blockchain in some shape, way, or form. That being said, I think there is also going to be very innovative ways in which these technologies will be able to be used within interactive entertainment. And the reason I say interactive entertainment instead of gaming is that I think, you know, gaming is a very narrow definition. And I think a lot of the discussions around, you know, this is not a game, this is a Ponzi scheme, and et cetera, right? I think the way I read, the, the reason I say interactive entertainment is because I think that the definition of a game is going to broaden, right? And, um, you know, we, we already see that, Games like League of Legends or Cyberpunk, you have like the game, but then you also have a, a show with like on Netflix. And, and so I think all of that is going to start expanding. And so I think there's a bunch of super interesting things that could be done using Web3 technology. And so if a team comes to us and they, you know, they inspire us with their vision, um, that's another seed rounds type deal that we can do. 
finally, if a team comes to us and they want to do, they're not already proven to be able to do what they want successfully. And their idea is, or, or their business is not necessarily something that we think, you know, is, 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 is like has lots of potential. At that point, we like to see um, proven traction metrics, right? Um, you know, do you come to us? Do you have some retention metrics that show that your game is, is really fun to play? Um, do you have like a distribution edge that you can prove? Um, at that, and at that point, we are usually already looking at a, at a series A situation. Okay, I think it's pretty clear. So you, you tell basically people, they can categorize themselves and see, okay, this is where I am. And does it make sense for me to get in touch with Bitcraft or not at this stage? And maybe you're going to tell them, tell them, obviously, come to us, we'll, we'll, we'll filter anyway. But kind of uh, trying to help Honestly, you there. <laughs> to, I mean, I would say anyone that's building, anyone that's entrepreneurial, anyone that's listening to this, um, I would say, you know, be proactive in out in reaching out. I think there's, you can perfect a pitch, right? There's, there's, a, there's, I mean, we've had companies that we've seen a pitch a month, few months ago, we weren't convinced. And then suddenly we see a pitch a few months later and we're like, holy shit, this, this is it. We want to back this team, right? So you can perfect the pitch. But that being said, I think it's it's dangerous to wait too long. So I would say, even if you 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 know following the definition that we just brought you, think it might be too early. It's always good to you know start a relationship where you know you you contact us and you tell us, look, this is what we're building. Is this something that could be of interest to you? And then we can you know politely tell you, look, this is because of these 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 reasons. We think it's early for us to get come in here, but um, obviously, like. You're a founder, and we admire founders, and we want to work with founders um, that you know can build great businesses. And so, if you believe in your ability to build a great business, you reach out. It might be too early, but then you just keep working. You do the hard stuff because that's what entrepreneurship is. And once you start seeing some some strong metrics, that's where you uh, you come back to us. You give us FOMO, and um, you make a deal. Okay, I think it's perfect. It makes sense. Uh... Yeah, I can see a lot of people that are between the different categories and 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 sometimes they struggle, especially the first time founders. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. But I, I think at the end of the day, reach out as much as you can. They will tell you, give you feedback like, no, why? Look at these different companies. They already do that or they or we are already working with them or for this amount of reasons whatsoever. We're not ready yet. But that's how you kind of create your network and and, and build. Actually, for me, this is a way to build when you when you have nothing is like talk to as many people as you can until you figure out something. Uh, that's kind of the rule. Correct. Okay. Um, so I, from a, a guild perspective, I, I looked a bit at your portfolio at Bitcraft. I saw at least three guilds. Uh, if I'm correct, you have Bayes, you have uh, Blackpool and you have uh, YGG. So from, from a, from a guild perspective, uh, you've invested in guilds. So you, I mean, maybe not you, but Bitcraft. So you must have a, a theory, you must have a, a, a vertical there. What, is, what are you thinking about yields? And maybe what, what was your thinking when you invested versus what it is right now? Because it changed quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. So all of those investments had been done before I joined. So it's hard for me to tell you what was going on in the, the brains of my colleagues when they made those decisions. But I'll, I can tell you my personal minds set shifts and the way I'm thinking and I was thinking around these. I think, you know, the initial pitch around guilds was fueled by the success of Axie Infinity, where you had a sort of um, land grab 
model where you could own land and that land was productive and you could rent it out, right? And in, in, in the case of Axie, it was you could own Axies and you could rent it out to, to Axies. You could rent out your Axies to people that were using them productively and you had this sort of, you know, rev, revenue generating assets. Um, and, but in order to get like, uh, to amass a large amount of these revenue generating assets, you needed to um, invest upfront. And so I guess that was, it was like an investment company investing in these revenue generating assets. The problem obviously, obviously was that the the economics around that of, of the the base economics of the game were not sustainable, and so that's so initially everyone thought like this is gold mine, right? Later on is the future. We have taxi drivers in the Philippines quitting their jobs. Well, they weren't getting a lot of income through COVID, so you know they finally had a way to earn money, and so that that drastically. Um, I mean, a lot of people, I guess, got convinced that that had potential, and then. Um, you know, as time progressed, we realized that that's maybe not that sustainable, at least for the short, like at least for now. So as an aside, I think my thesis is that I think the world will need a way for people to make a living in the virtual worlds. So we will need some kind of play to earn. We will need to have virtual worlds where people will have a job. Um, and that job, I think, will be a different like it won't it won't be um a job in a traditional sense so it will be literally playing your your have it you have a role inside this virtual world so you have a role within the game and you will earn money by fulfilling that role i think that will exist um but i do also feel that it will take time for an virtual economy to get to that point for that to become sustainable so that as an aside i think on the short term a lot of um, guilds will have to reinvent themselves. And so this is also one of the reasons why we decided to back the companies, the, 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 the guilds that we actually backed, right? They all have something different, right? Um, YGG is an example. They're the first. They have a ridiculous amount of talent in the team. Um, they're very proactive in the way they work with different games. And so, you know, they, one, work with games, they have a lot of access, they have a strong community. And so we believe that there is going to be a lot of value created within blockchain-based worlds moving forward. And we believe that YGG, you know, through their community, through the tools that they develop will capture, you know, a significant part of that, or at least their share of that. And similarly with other of these projects, for example, Bayes is focused on, on Brazil, in Latin America more broadly. And so there we believe that they will um they have like unfair access. They do they do a lot of content creation around these games. And so these are some of the you know reasons next to the the traditional guild models that we believe uh, why these companies will be successful. And that is generally what we think that guilds need to look at today. So you know as I said this whole play to earn thing where you can make money by own, owning and operating assets within virtual worlds, I think that's will work at some point, but not yet. And so in the meantime, I think you as a guild need to differentiate yourself um, through technology, through community, or through something else. Um, that's that's what I would recommend, guilds. Okay, so definitely they're struggling right now. I mean, it's not surprising anyone that most guilds are having a very bad time there are many are completely wrecked or many are they don't have any assets anymore because they already invest in so many games that are not out yet they, they don't really know uh, so they don't have much more money to deploy and all their business models with axe infinity or other games is really that it's it doesn't bring them anything right now so yeah as you mentioned all the guilds are trying to evolve into different things 
So our, our, our thesis is basically that uh, it's very similar to you. It's essentially, like there is going to be um, ways to earn uh, money in the metaverse. Maybe it's not going to be by playing. Maybe it's going to be by working, using NFTs, designing, crafting, whatever. So, so many different things. And, uh, and the fact that in the metaverse, you do not start a business, you launch a guild. So this is our, our, our thesis. Might be uh, kind of different for some people. Some people would say it's more DAOs. I think guilds and DAOs are different. I think guilds can be DAOs, but can be something else. And it's, uh, sometimes it's convenient that you operate a business in metaverse and it's not a DAO, uh, I believe. And more and more complicated to, to run DAOs these days. Um, but, you know, I've been listening to you a couple podcasts, and I, and I also feel like there is a two Nico. There is one Nico, which is a working investor and trying to, uh, like, bet on what's going to make money for your fund, and it's normal. And I, I think, if I'm not wrong, this, like, tends to go towards hyper-financialization of all the games and all the blockchain gaming industry. And there's the other Nico, more idealistic maybe, that want just fun games that are fun. But games that are fun can bring money. But the point of blockchain, in my opinion, the real fundamental shift, it's a layer of financialization of almost everything. So you can like it, dislike it, but that's what really incentivizes people to, to go in there and spend much more money. Okay, so I'm going to disagree with you on that mm -hmm. last thing. So I, ca I can see a reason why you would say that you see two Nikos. I can, I can, I can imagine that, right? I, I have a fiduciary duty to optimize returns for, for our investors. Um, and sometimes that might happen through a company that, you know, over-financializes and use, abuses blockchain to over-financialize the thing that we love, games. That being said, I understand that your view of what Web3 or blockchain brings to games is a financialization layer. And I think probably the majority of people, specifically the people that dislike web3 and what what it could do for games agree with you right they're like it's it's all about money it's all about value and scarcity um and i think that this financialization will have a part so i talked about i talked earlier about this world i see or um within let's say five years plus where you have these big virtual economies where people will have jobs within these games slash economies and so i think um what Web3 does for games is it opens up the economy. So traditionally, a game like World of Warcraft had a closed or semi-closed economy where it was at least hard to transfer value from inside the game to outside the game. What Web3 does, it makes these economies completely open. And so it allows people to you know, pay to win, right? You come into a game, you're like, screw this, I'm not going to spend two hour, 200 hours grinding for the best gear. I'm just going to buy it because I have the money. Um, and so it, it allows this concept of time-rich people and time-poor people to exchange, um, you know, time for money, essentially. So I think that's going to be a part of what Web3 brings to games. I also think that there's an over-indexing on that part right now. And that's specifically what I'm looking for in, in my work. So um, I think that's, you know, what is a blockchain? Right? If, you, if you bring it down to first principles, blockchain is a database. It is a decentralized database. So instead of, you know, your assets, your items living on a database that is owned by the company that runs the game, right, where no one can look into that database, it's closed off, it now exists on a public database. 
So, which means that, you know, other entities can start interacting with the items that you hold within one game. And I think that has some very interesting potential consequences for what it can mean for games, right? So here it's more about the fact that these assets are open than rather than closed that I think can lead to new innovative experiences. One example is what I talked about before, where games are one, something you play on your computer, and then, you know, when you stop playing, you go lie in front of your couch and you're watching Arcane on Netflix, right? So we have this, this concept of transmedia. And so I think that's blockchain, if, if we ever have truly like transmedia interactive experiences, you know, the blockchain will be a strong foundation of that or at least a potential foundation. So that's one. The other cool thing about a blockchain is that we have, um, that a blockchain is programmable. So again, we said your assets live on a database, right? You have a closed database on the servers of like a game operator, a game publisher, and you have this open new database that is actually also programmable. And so there, you you also start having like interesting thing possible, uh, interesting things possible. So um, one of the consequences of of the blockchain being programmable is that you can actually now start creating games on the blockchain. So Wolf Game was one example of that. Wolf Games pretty much a year ago, I guess, that Wolf Game suddenly shot up. It was it was basically DeFi with like a, a gamified user interface, right? But it's it's nevertheless, and now we get into like what is a game and what is not, I would call it a game, right? And so there's some interesting interesting things when you start putting game logic onto an open database where anyone can actually start, you know, taking some of the parts of your game and using it somewhere else or allowing characters from inside your game to do stuff somewhere else, etc. Um, and so I'm particularly excited about these non-financialized use cases of this new technology on games. Right. So I, I I see I see what you mean the interoperability the fact that it's transferable everybody can use it you kind of own it in some way but like most likely it's distributed uh, technology so yeah it's basically you can move your assets around do a lot of things and program them mm -hmm. uh, that's that's for sure but uh, these things this alone can change the entire uh, blockchain industry don't you think that what people are looking for is more the the financial incentives behind them well everybody uses this example and i also do uh, what about my uh, account in world of warcraft i had so many characters played so many hours blah, blah blah do you think people really say oh i wish i i wish i could uh, bring it to somewhere else or do you think uh, everybody says oh i i could not sell it or i sold it for so few i'm so i'm so frustrated because so much time and i, I could have made money out of it so, so yes, you you have a uh, like uh, attachment, uh, sentimental to to it. But at the end of the day, what I usually hear in most people's uh, mouth is, I, I just it was so much value. What did I do with it? I could have used it for something else or sell it. So my thesis. So I've I've had discussions around this. We've had a, a podcast around specifically like wood making old school RPGs like a World of Warcraft, like RuneScape, if you would open up their economies, which means that you keep the game as is, but every asset in that game lives on the blockchain, which means that you can sell anything, would that make the game less or more fun? Um, the majority of people, because I put this on a vote as well, said that it will make the game more fun. And I strongly disagree. So, you know, I've played RuneScape a bunch of times. I've restarted RuneScape a bunch of times. And so... For me, if the game stays as is, right, it's important to keep in mind, if it stays as it is, 
if a new player loads into the game, the first thing they'll see is they'll have two options. They'll have their first newbie quest. The newbie quest is kill a chicken, right? You kill a chicken, you get some feathers, you get some eggs, and they get 50 GP, and you maybe level up your attack by one level, and maybe you get like a bronze dagger, right? And that feels great because it's your first quest. You completed it, you get some XP, and you get some gold, and you can do some gold. You can buy some runes with it. You can start casting some spells. feels amazing, right? The moment you open up the economy, you'll see, one, the person that gives you the quest to kill a chicken, and then, two, you see another player so a, a playable character that's going to be there and is going to have like this wavy text above his head because that was a fun thing to do in RuneScape. And it's going to be like, hey, here, give me one, one euro, one dollar, whatever, and I'll give you 50,000 GP. And so option is go do this quest, right? Okay, you'll get, get a level, which you have to work for anyway, and you'll, you'll earn 50 GP, or you pay one euro, which is, you know, for most people in the Western world, negligible if you're going to plan, if you plan on spending a lot of time in that game, and you're going to get 50,000 GP. You know, the decision is made pretty fast. But the moment you've done that, you've basically ruined the first 100, 100 quests in that game because none of them are going to be able to, you know, give you as much as, as one year of those. And so I think that's any game that is open. So any game that has an open economy will have to be designed to have an open economy. And I think there's going to be a bunch of companies that are going to try that. And I think there's going to be... a like 99.9% .9 of those will fail because I think that finding that balance is going to be extremely hard. Um, but I think one will pull it off and that's my thesis, right? I think in five years, one will, will pull it off and that's when we'll see probably the big, the biggest game that's ever existed. And you believe it's going to be more uh, MMO-like, RPG-like? Yes. Than, yes. than FPS, for instance. Yes. I personally struggle to see the added value of Web3 to FPSs, I think it makes more sense for RPGs. Um, I, yeah, it's, um, there are some very cool first-person shooters in the makings right now, but I think for first-person shooters, gameplay is very, very important, and like smoothness, and like it has to just feel good, and that's why Call of Duty is so successful. Call of Duty is a fantastic game. It feels great. You're like fast, it's twitchy, um, and it's very hard to make these games, right? Call of Duty, how many Call of Duties are there now? Like 20? They've, they've built a bunch. And so they have some experience, some experience building Call of Duty. And, you know, making that from scratch is going to be hard. Making a shooter that is better gameplay-wise than Activision is going to be hard. And then I don't believe that blockchain technology adds enough to shooter gameplay to make people switch from Call of Duty to that shooter. I think it does with RPGs because in RPGs, like there is an economic aspect which doesn't exist with um, uh, with shooters. And that's where I think um, um, the, the difference will lie. That being said, um, I think there's escape from Tarkov style games where you know you have like loot and you like go in and every time you go in, you're actually putting stuff at risk. I think that might work. Um, but still, I would say that I think the big, the big, Winners will be more RPG-like than shooters. Okay, what do you think about... So you said that uh, at the end of the day, you believe that there are going to be ways to earn in the metaverse. So X to earn, I call it use to earn, whatever. So this has to do with lending, NFT lending, in my opinion. In my opinion, basically, at the moment, you will have a lot of uh, NFTs and they are not worth zero. And if these NFTs can be used to earn anything, so it makes you eligible to earn anything, there's going to be a lot of basically lending 
speculation, optimization, uh, finding the right people, kind of a job, you know, assets. There's, there's going to be assets that you want to, to optimize, right? So that's why we say that NFT lending will be the fuel of the metaverse economy. So yeah, in my opinion, the only two ways it doesn't happen is all NFTs are worth zero or you cannot earn anything with these NFTs. Otherwise, lending will take over. What is your opinion about that? I think um, I would have to think that through. Um, my thesis around how earning works within the metaverse is different. Um, but um, yeah, specifically lending, I, 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 don't, I would have to think of, uh, through a bit more. All right. You want to so, get my thesis? Around yeah. earning in the metaverse? Give me, give me your thesis. Yeah, you ready? Good. So I'll first tell you why I think this is important. I think this is important because as technology progresses, more and more traditional forms of income and traditional forms of adding value to society um, become non-existent. To give you an example, the moment we have widespread self-driving cars, there is going to be millions, tens of millions of truck and taxi drivers out of a job. What are these people going to do? Because any other job that they might be able to do will probably also be automated. And so I think we need a way for people to earn money um, within virtual worlds. The other solution there is universal basic income, which I believe is highly needed, but I'm not going to sit around and hope for governments to figure their shit out and, and start something like universal basic income. So I might as well try to, to build a similar mechanism in a metaverse. So that's, I guess, what I'm doing. And I know this sounds terribly, terribly dystopian, um, but that's just, unfortunately, the way I see this display out. So, okay, we need ways for people to earn money or like create value within a metaverse. Um, how do, will that work? So the way I describe it is, um, I think it will happen through asymmetric gameplay, which means that you will have two different gameplay loops within the same universe. Um, and I think to to very like to summarize this or to to abstract this away to like two different game loops is you have one game loop which centers around um, fun, and one game loop which centers around grinding, and the people that grind facilitate or. Um, enhance the fun that's being had by the, by the people that are playing for fun. So, you know, the way I see this is maybe a Skyrim-like universe, like a medieval-style uh, RPG universe. Some people go into, like, wars with, like, dragons and, and like, amazing gear and magic. And then other people's, uh, people are just, like, playing a, a, like, a mining game. And so the, the, the resources that they mine can be used to be put into, like, stronger and stronger gear and so the strongest gears or the strongest gear will need like maybe 200 hours of human work or maybe 2000 hours of human work that is provable because it's on the blockchain and so you know it's it's a bit like art where if you have two pieces of art and one took one hour to make and the other took 10,000 hours to make then people will always perceive the one that took more time to make as more valuable and so at that point if you bring that back to that game the gear, like if you're using the maximum gear, you know that so much time will get into it. You will, you know, feel better. It will be more enjoyable. Um, and you know, this this is how I, you know, in a very simple way, see the way for people to add value to uh, to in in virtual worlds. So it's really like kind of working, like putting on some work. You're not necessarily having fun doing it. It's and the thing is that if you have different ways to earn money within the metaverse, 
the more fun one way to earn money within the metaverse is, the less you will be paid for it. Yes, for sure. Because the more fun it is, the more people will do it. And so you you have this this concept that is called the fun tier. And this was, I don't know, I don't remember who coined this, uh, but essentially it means that you will have activities that, so activities both have a fun and a um, earning power um, relationship. And so the more, the more fun something has, the less earning power it has, and the, the less fun it has, the more earning power it has. Um, and I think that's, that's, and again, like it's not that this, I want this to happen, but that's how I see this display out. Okay, interesting. Am uh, I getting too depressing? No, no, no. You, I mean, we... this is a dystopian kind of uh, world. I mean, I, to be honest, I share your opinion about the the uh, basic income and the way that nobody. I mean, in the future, many people are going to be out of job and they need occupation and some ways to to earn it. In two thousand seventeen, I actually wrote a white paper in which I thought how blockchain will create a private uh, universal income, so okay. small transactions. And the blockchain from all businesses could just spread out and be shared, kind of humanity airdrop stuff like that. So I I will not dive too much into it because it's not the, the time and place. But I'm 100% in your in your in, in your thesis for five five years already. I've been thinking about that. And um, yeah, no, so moving on to maybe FogDAO. So you know, every time I say I'm an active member in FogDAO, I don't know if it's my accent. Or anything, but people look at me, smile, laugh, and hear something else from me. So, so what are you, you doing, that Dao man? Man, I, I don't know. You you pick the name. Yeah. I struggle when I say it. Just just call it Future of Gaming Dao. Yeah, yeah safer it's, probably. It's, I will keep doing fuck Dao. Fuck, yeah, it's, fuck it's Dao. That, that way people remember it. It's perfect. It is true. It is yeah. true. So what are you? So I mean, I'm in the. I'm in the for disclosure. I'm I'm a member of uh, fuck Dao. You're doing. Uh, amazing podcast i i said that i heard heard your last one about the land speculation i thought it was incredible really it felt like uh, uh, like exquisite food for my brain so <laughs> i really i really enjoyed it uh, i don't know why uh, maybe it was on my way back from having beers with some friends so i thought oh they are very smart but maybe <laughs> i was just a bit a bit tipsy so actually not so much but yeah what are I'll you trying it. to achieve there what are you trying to do so I think, um, as we said before, I think there's an over-indexing over on this financialization aspect of these new technologies. And in general, I think what I'm trying to preach almost is that, yo, stop trying to make people earn money within your game. Try to think first about what this new technology can do to help you make experiences that will you know, keep people super engaged within you know the, the thing that you create um and once you do that like the people will come right and so as i said before i think there's this financialization aspect but i also think that this technology you know and, and by the way we talk about blockchain technology but that includes artificial intel intelligence as well that's something we talk about sometimes as well it also includes brain computer interface right in the future there's no mouse and keyboard man you just jam a USB stick up, up your brain and you're like just playing like this. That's, uh, that's, I'm not sure if that's going to be how it is, but anyway, this, this, there's some cool stuff going on there. And yeah. so my point is new technologies can be used to build cool shit. And so instead of 
looking at Web3 and like, oh, let's make our people or our players earn money within our game. Why don't you think about, okay, what kind of super cool experiences can I build using this technology? And that's pretty much what I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to have people avoid these some of these pitfalls that others have been through. Because whenever you use a new technology on an existing business model, there's a lot of mistakes that people made make. And so, you know, for me, if one founder decides not to do something stupid, for example, launch an NFT two years before their games come game come comes out, then I'm happy. All right. So you think like build something incredible in you and people will create business uh, around it anyway. So you don't have to solve that. No, I would say, I mean, you do have to think about the business model, right? But I think that's maybe I didn't, didn't, didn't word that right. I would say that's, um, I would say that too many people are making games that are sorely differentiated on the fact that they have a, they have an open economy, right? It's like, oh, we're building we're building a MOBA, but the champions and their skins are all on blockchain. Or, hey, we're building a shooter like CS:GO, but you know, instead of having skins in Steam, you own your skins like really. And there's a lot of companies that are doing things that are more differentiated than that. But I want people to think even like a few steps further, which is one of the reasons why I'm like also super excited about putting more of the game logic on the blockchain, right? Where it's more than, oh, your NFTs, you, you have NFTs and then you have the game. And then, you know, I want people to think a step further than that because I do think that the real innovation uh, will come from there. Okay. Okay, let's come to the last two questions I have for you. Uh, first one is, why do you have a CryptoPunk as a profile picture? Because um, I'm just trying to show off, man. Um, I have imposter That's syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Um, I, I, I really like... Well, I've been... I would... I would call myself relatively crypto native, right? I've been in, in this industry uh, probably a bit longer than most people. And, um, you know, owning a CryptoPunk, it's one of my pride, prized pride things I'm most proud of. Um, it's one of my most valuable possessions, right? My most valuable single possessions. And so um, I identify myself with the CryptoPunk that I bought. So the first CryptoPunk I bought, um, I identify myself with it and I never intend on selling it. So... You know, even if the price of CryptoPunks goes to $10 million, I'll still be flexing it in the metaverse. Nice. And, but do you feel like, I feel like you may be uh, one of, so there's two types of people probably that show us their CryptoPunks, the people that paid it really high and the people that got it early. Are you, which one are you? I'm probably in between, right? I did, I did. But the thing is, I paid it with Ether that I bought cheaply if that makes sense okay. right okay. if i look at the, the euros that i put into my CryptoPunk, it's not that much um but i wasn't i wasn't like i didn't mint it uh, unfortunately like i wasn't that early. Like minting is was it like very few people can consider yeah. Minted it so yeah okay my last question is a meta question i'm asking it to all the people i invite all the guests here it is so if life was a game and you can go up to level 100 what is your current level it's a fun question because actually, one of my theses is that capitalism is a game. School is a tutorial, mm. and you know the goal of the game is just amassing as much as much money as possible. Um, well, I, I guess one of the questions I would have to ask you back is, what is the level cap? So level cap is one hundred. You can okay, go sorry, up to yeah. level one hundred, and what that, is yeah. your current level? Yeah.
Okay. What is my current level? There's still so much to learn, man. Um, I think for me, building a family is like major parts of how I see my life. And so I don't have kids yet. I'm married. So achievement unlocked. <laughs> don't have an NFT for that. Maybe I shouldn't get one. Um, I have a ring though. So that's something. Um, so I would say, honestly, like I think my age, which is 31, is probably a good level to be at. Because I think, I honestly, like I could see myself getting to 100. And at 100, I think my life is going to be complete. And as I grow older, I'll just naturally get there. I think, honestly, if you know some younger people take away one thing from, from this, and this is also a bit of a meta answer, it is that you shouldn't be too too much in a hurry to achieve whatever you want to achieve, right? I think um, when you spend time on crypto Twitter, you see all of these people, you know, being successful and there's this availability bias where you only see the people that are successful, right? And you don't see them grind. You don't see how much work they put in. And so I think one of the strongest powers in the, in, in the world is compounding. And so the, the essence of compounding is that every day or whatever, every time frame, something increases, increases by a little bit. And I think that's, one of the most important powers there is. And one of the, the rule number one with compounding is don't stop compounding. And if people are too much in a hurry, they tend to stop compounding and they tend to take risks that stops their compounding. And so one example in within Web3 I see is that people start using leverage, try like, you know, look for shit coins. They buy some like Shiba dog or whatever coin is, is hip right now, right? Uh, they make some stupid mistakes. But like similarly with, uh, for example, lifting weights, like you get strong by lifting a bit more weight every day or like whatever, every time frame that you train. If you go too heavy, too fast, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going, going back to zero. And so, you know, see your life as like a staircase and not necessarily as an exponential curve that you want to sprint on as fast as possible. All right. So then maybe you already kind of answered. Uh, so you're level 31 and yep. how do you win the game? Um, I don't... How do you win the game of life? Yeah. Hmm. I guess how do you win it is you're on your deathbed and you were like, look, I'm I'm ready to pass away and I am as satisfied as I could be with everything I've did during my life. Okay, good answer. Uh, thank you very much, Nico. It was really uh, fun. A pleasure to have you Same, uh, on this show. Uh, Good questions. So, thank you. Um, I mean, I'm definitely uh, getting a lot from you and hearing your podcast. I invite everyone to, to do so. The links will be in the description of the, the video. And yeah, follow a Fog, uh, Fogcast or whatever you name it right now. Yeah. Uh, Fogcast is good. And FogDAO community, join them. It's, a, it's really nice. And yeah, let's... Uh, meet uh, for a next episode of this series of interviews. Thanks. Bye. Ciao.